0: Welcome. My name is Robin Robertson, and I'm the host and creator of this podcast, Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And as always, I am truly grateful that you're here with me today. So, this is August, and we have been doing, we as in Kelly Edwards of the 90 Minute School Day and I, we have been doing the How to Be an Awesome Homeschooler Summit wrap up this past week. So, Kelly and I created the How to Be an Awesome Homeschooler Summit with confidence, calm, connection as our main themes that we ran on the Clubhouse platform the past August 6th. So we had three fantastic keynotes, Dr. Gina Riley, unschooling mom and educator, unschooling researcher, Demetria Giles, who is an educator and homeschooling parent, and Rachel Rainbolt, who you probably know actually all three from this podcast, but Rachel also has a podcast of her own sage family. And we had the three engaging keynotes, vulnerable, honest keynotes. They were so good and inspiring and workshops after each one to further dive into questions, to deep dive into our foundational themes, confidence, calm and connection and get more questions directly answered. The summit was live, but we did offer recordings. So if you somehow missed the summit or recordings, um, but you're interested in participating in something like that again, let us know because Kelly and I are taking the feedback and information to see what we can create again, possibly for next year or another time that would best serve the community. We, um, you know, we personally felt better supported and encouraged to and, and informed as well which was our purpose for creating the summit, and we know we felt it for ourselves, and this was a value that we wanted to provide to both new and veteran homeschoolers. We had a fantastic mix. We featured giveaways, and we had a digital swag bag, books and free consultations, phonics programs, courses, discounts on... um, on different items as well. Uh, we just wanted to provide value and support and we're, we feel that we did this. And so if you're interested in participating or in being part of this again, please let me know. And you can do that through social media. Honey, I'm homeschooling the kids on Instagram, Facebook. You can email me or go to my contact page on the website and contact me from there. But the other part as well that I wanted to just share briefly is that I had received many personal questions and messages as well throughout the summit, as I usually do because of the work that I do with the homeschooling community and with this podcast as well. And I saw that obviously there is a big need, there's a need for support, further support and encouragement and inspiration. So, what I am doing, and I talked about this a little bit before, but really here I'm giving further details into this. Uh, I've created a masterclass for the community, and really it's called Homeschooling with Purpose Masterclass. And the purpose is to create a homeschooling year, help to support you create a homeschooling year ahead. That really is true to you. That's filled with purpose that reflects your true value and the true learning life that you want to live as a homeschooler, unschooler, or eclectic, whatever you would like to name it. So this masterclass will be a smaller space because we want to keep it personal and connected. I want to keep it personal and connected. And I want to be able to best meet your questions and support you and encourage you um, in in a space that is safe as well. So in this masterclass, we're going to talk about, and I'm going to show a guiding framework for you and your family to find success in your homeschooling and provide you with a loose template so that you can create your own unique soft structure or flow for your homeschooling year and every homeschooling year after that. So really, we're going to dive into a powerful framework that helps you in decision-making, and becomes really your beacon of light when you get off-center or when you're unsure of where you're going or what you should do. We will talk about examples of how this can work and how to come back to it each year or time you feel unsure or off-course. We'll also create a learning flow for your year based on your children's interests and curiosities that is simple, flexible, and supportive. And we're going to do this through matching and finding resources for your learning framework, and each of your children's interests. So if it is curriculum that you find, you'll know it's the right one because it will be one that truly matches where your child and your family wants to go and that fits your values and purpose. But also we'll be talking about or exploring how we can create other learning tools and resources on our own or finding them within our current environment so creating that learning flow, that unique flow and structure for your family, um, we'll talk about de-schooling as well, and powerful questions that you continue to ask yourself as you go through the deschooling process, matching resources and supporting interests, as well as building and supporting a learning environment of joy, love, connection, and that matches your purpose and values. So if you're interested in this masterclass and you know that it's something that can support you and helps guide you in this upcoming year, contact me. You can email me. You can go to my contact page on my website. My email is robin, R-O-B-Y-N, at I'm homeschooling.com, I-M-H-O-M-E-S-C-H-O-O-L-I-N-G.com. Or you can message me on social media, Instagram or Facebook. And I will add you to the wait list. And I'm looking forward to working with you and supporting you in this new learning year. So now to the latest episode. I love this interview. I interviewed Pilar Buley. And this episode was one where I felt like we were connected. We were really on such similar wavelengths when it came to children, learning, and parenting. And Pilar herself is... A Montessori child, a child of a Montessori school. She is a homeschool mentor and she is a Montessori advocate. And she answered all my questions about Montessori so clearly and with such detail. And I walked away from this feeling inspired, connected and with such a better understanding of the foundations and vision of Montessori learning and education. She's a homeschooling parent, and I will share actually how you can get in touch with her as well as her website and programs. You can find the links in the show notes, but take a listen. I know you'll love this episode. We talked about learning and development from baby from infant stage all the way to adult stage, and what our kids need to be best supported and to live a learning life that they love and that we love. So let me know what you think and enjoy the episode. So welcome to the show today. I have Pilar Buley as a guest. Welcome, Pilar. It's great to have you. Thank you. I
1: am so honored to be here. I've been following your podcast for years, so it's a great honor to be here.
0: Thank you. Fantastic. So Pilar is a former Montessori child, homeschool mentor, and Montessori advocate. In addition to a Bachelor of Science in Hospitality Management and ample entrepreneurial entrepreneurial experience, Mm -hmm. Pilar holds AMI certifications for ages 3 to 12, a master's degree in Montessori education, and positive discipline parent and classroom certifications. Pilara has a decade of classroom experience at primary and elementary levels and has been homeschooling her children for three years. She created mainly Montessori to support homeschooling parents because she believes that Montessori can help parents raise lifelong learners. Pilara lives with her children and husband in Southern California. Welcome. Thank you. So actually, I just want to get a little bit of clarity. Is AMI certifications American Montessori certification? Mm, No, a lot of people think that. It's actually, um, it's in French, it's
1: Association Montessori Internationale. And it was Ah. the association that Maria Montessori created before she died to further her work. Um, and, and then there was kind of a, a split off in philosophy, um, where AMS was created and that's the American Montessori society. Oh, okay. Okay. I I understand now. Right. right. So they're just different kinds of certifications, but they're all, you know, Montessori and they, they all allow you to work with
0: children in in classrooms and at homes. They're mostly for teachers though. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Well, maybe if we have time, I can ask you a little bit about those differences and why yes, that happened a little bit course. later. But um, okay. So now that's clear. All right, we got that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're um, so you're a mom, you're a homeschooler, and you're a Montessori educator. You actually have quite extensive experience and background. So maybe I can ask you first. So you're a child. You grew up uh, as a Montessori child. Is that what got you into Montessori? Yeah, so I was a Montessori
1: child from preschool through third grade, and the only reason my parents moved me to a public school in fourth grade was because we moved to a city where there were no elementary programs, uh, Montessori programs, um, and so then I moved to a public school. But otherwise, they would have kept me um, in, in a Montessori school. They're, they're big believers, especially my mom is a really big believer in Montessori and what it provides for, for children. Um, and but i you know i took a totally different path you know out of college i went into hospitality management and it wasn't until i was 30 that i decided to become uh, a montessori guide it kind of everything led me back to montessori
0: okay so so why <laughs> what happened
1: what was it was a shift well it, it's the craziest story so i i i never really wanted to work with children i mean i knew i wanted to have children but I've always loved business, and um, and I was in human resources for a while, um, and so I liked kind of the, the the human aspect of work, but not necessarily with children. But I was at a loss at the age of thirty about what to do with my life. I had a business, I had an event planning business. It was going very well financially, but I didn't feel like I was giving back. Um, and kind of contributing to better the planet uh, in any way. And so I sat down to meditate and at that time I didn't really meditate often, but I just kind of had this feeling to, that I needed to meditate. I sat down and I put the question out there, like, what do I do with this next part of my life? And a voice came back saying, you need to work with children. And I remember opening my eyes and being like, I don't really even like children. You know, to me, <laughs> children were, you know, I, I didn't have children. I, I didn't really have nieces or nephews. And to me, children were loud and, and you know, bratty and obnoxious and everything that society kind of paints children to be. Right. And so, um, but I approached my then fiance, who's now my husband, and I said, you know what, I, I kind of think I might want to work with children. And so his sister, my, my now sister-in-law, is a Montessori guide. Uh, she works with mm. elementary children. And so he said, you know, you always have really interesting conversations with her. Why don't you look up Montessori training. And so I thought, okay, let me do that. Well, it turns out that the AMI training center was across the street from his house. I mean, if that's not like a sign from the gods, I don't know what was. Yeah, totally. And and, yeah, and so I I went to the training center and I started uh, a conversation with the director. Well, it turns out her daughter and I went to high school together. Wow. So yeah, Talk it about was just,
0: things aligning
1: <laughs> exactly. It was just meant to be, and so I started like not really knowing why I was there. And about a month in, we do in Montessori we do what's called observations, which is where we sit down and we look at how children behave and, and work in the little classrooms without really putting any judgment on it. So just just watching what they're doing. And so I was doing my first observation, and there was this little child who was four years old, and she was so composed and, you know, self-disciplined and focused and every, all her movements were just very careful. And I realized like, wow, this is what children are capable of doing. Everything that society Mm. tells us about the potential of children is wrong. Um, and so that kind of set me on a quest of rediscovering what childhood was all about. Um, and, you know, then I became a teacher and a parent and I started a blog and it, everything just kind of steamrolled from there um, where Montessori and really understanding and seeing the, uh, the good in children became my focus and helping parents
0: see the good in their children,
1: you know, really became okay. my drive.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's a very, that's a very valuable lesson. And that that's very much of like the shift you said, you know, you felt like you weren't uh, giving back or you want to add more value to the world. So yeah, I can, I can absolutely see how um, the fulfillment as well in that shift. Exactly. Mm -hmm. No, continue. Yes. I was
1: was just going to say that, you know, in Montessori, a, a big focus especially in the elementary years is helping children understand their role in the world and their responsibility as stewards and how they can use their gifts to better the world and so it was something that i, I kind of had inside of me um and, and eventually it came out so it's, it's just it's a testament to how when you educate children from a young age to think of themselves in this way um it eventually comes out, right? And, and you know, and not everybody's going to become a teacher. Uh, but if you allow every child to understand who they are, then eventually they'll be able to share those gifts with the world.
0: Okay, okay. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the Montessori method and some of the values that are incorporated with it, then Um, I know it's not just like, okay, here's the top 10 and then we'll have it all figured out. I know there's a lot to it, but maybe for anyone that's new and listening and they're just learning about Montessori, um, the values and methods, um, what are some key fundamentals that you feel are important for um, people to know or understand about Montessori method?
1: Yeah. So I think in order to understand what Montessori is, you first have to deconstruct the myths or understand what it's not. Because if you go on social media and you look up Montessori, the first thing that you're going to see is, you know, these cute little wooden materials and these mm-hmm. perfect children, you know, quietly engaged with, with little activities um, and these beautiful shelves, uh, you know, and and... And that is one part, so the materials are one part of Montessori, but it's, it's not the foundation, it's not the philosophy. So what Montessori is, in a nutshell, is a way of educating children that allows us to really focus on where they are developmentally. So what Maria Montessori did was, she started working with children ages three to six, And began, because she was a scientist, she began observing them, looking at them very objectively without any preconceived notions of what children were capable of. And what she realized was that they, all children, uh, regardless of where they live or what their personalities or interests are like, they all exhibit certain developmental characteristics at different stages of growth. And when you are able to understand those characteristics and really adapt your approach to support those characteristics, that's when the children really begin to thrive. So to give you an example, um, three and four-year-olds, especially those ages, they really thrive on order everything in their life needs to be, you know, clear and, uh, sequences need to be very clear for them, uh, routines, um, their environment needs to be orderly. And when that's out of whack, then a lot of these, you know, the tantrums and the, the meltdowns happen. Um, and if once we know, okay, this is what a child of ages three and four needs, then we're better able to support them and we minimize these behaviors that then we kind of point the finger at the child and say, oh, well, that child is misbehaving. They're not. They're reacting to um, a lack of understanding of that developmental stage that they're in. Mm -hmm. And, And so that's kind of the real underlying foundation of Montessori. And that's why, like my message is always, you know, if if you're if you don't want to pay for all those materials, you know, just educate yourself on these different developmental stages. The Montessori, Dr. Montessori called them the uh, planes of development. So mm-hmm. for anybody who wants to take a little bit of a deeper dive, you can look up Montessori planes of development and read about the characteristics at each stage of growth so she divided it into uh ages 0 to 6 6 to 12 12 to 18 and 18 to 24 right. and when okay. yeah when you're able to support those uh characteristics at each stage um obviously adapting for your child's interests and personality and your culture um then your child is kind of more settled happier um and and they're able to learn joyfully so that's mm, okay. kind of what it boils down to. But like you know, like you said, it's a it's a whole philosophy, and and it it takes a while to to really understand it and embrace it. But at the same time, the work that I'm doing is kind of breaking it down. So that it's manageable for parents to take it one step at a time and focus, okay, you know, first on my environment, then on understanding what my child needs, then on understanding how I need to approach education. And, uh, you know, when you break it down, it becomes more manageable.
0: Okay. Okay. So can we break it down a bit further as well?
1: Sure. <laughs> sure, sure.
0: So there, there are different, different, um, imagine a
1: stool, a three-legged stool, if you will. One leg is the environment, so that means the the area where your child is living and learning. So, in case in terms of homeschooling, that would be your home, whether you have a separate classroom or whether it's in your living room or however you want to set it up. Um, in, you know, including your child's bedroom, the outdoor environment, all of those areas need to be adapted to your child's developmental stage. So, for example, for the uh, zero to six-year-old, they're really working on functional independence, on being able to do things for themselves, like dress themselves, feed themselves, uh, take care of their hygiene. So everything, if, if you look at Montessori blogs and, and social media, you'll see that the shelves are low so the children can access things. Uh, yes. You'll see that, you know, the the, the toilet training or you know, the potty training, Um, there's, you know, the little potty and the extra underwear and the little books and everything is at the child's level the same with preparing a snack all the snacks are at are at the child's level and the little butter knife and everything is available and ready to support that drive for independence. Um, and then, if you think about the elementary child, they are much more into categorizing things. So, a lot of elementary children love collections. And so, mm-hmm. one way of supporting that, you know, is having the little boxes for the shell collection or the quarter, you know, the coin collection. Um, and so understanding what your child needs at that age, and then providing the environment that's going to support their development. So the environment is one leg of the stool. The second leg of the stool is the child, right? It's letting the child be free in this environment. And freedom doesn't mean, oh, you can do whatever you want and trash the joint, right? (laughs) Uh, Freedom really means letting them choose from an environment that's been carefully prepared with the child's needs in mind. And so it means not always you know that the child doesn't always have to do what the adult tells them, but can can choose from a variety of activities. And so you have this child with their natural drives and personality and curiosities and instincts and so they already come primed to learn. Which is, which is a different perspective from what we see in traditional education, which is kind of a top-down, you know, one-way mm-hmm. uh, transmission of education from the adult to the child, right? Right. And yeah. the child basically just is a receptacle that, that takes in information and then regurgitates it. Um, and so the way we see the child in Montessori is they are a, an active participant in their learning. So the child is the second leg of the three-legged stool. And then of course, we have the adult. And in Montessori, we, we call the adults the the guide. Um, or we you know, we also talk about the prepared adult. And the reason why we're not teachers and we are guides is because I like to think of it as a as a tour guide, right? It's kind of like you know, what all of the different areas are that you need to uh, move your child through, but you are there to kind of entice and uh, really make things enjoyable, right? So if you go with a tour guide, a really good tour guide will make the, 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 the process really enjoyable and will help you retain a lot of that information through the stories they tell and the things they point out um, and, you know, their narratives. And so that's what an adult does. They kind of make learning enjoyable and enticing and fun. And they, they bring, you know, humor and they They point out little details that children find interesting. So they're just kind of, Maria Montessori used to call it seducing the child, Um, you know, which is just kind of making learning fascinating for children and Mm. not just like, sit down, this is what we're doing today and and here's the workbook. Uh, And so it's a totally different way of seeing the role of the adult. um, And it does require some preparation. And that's why we call it the prepared adult. So those are the three legs of the stool. And when you, put those together you know then the magic occurs um and it is you know montessori is not you know kind of open and go just you know read a book and then you'll be able to 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 be the perfect guide but it's also very forgiving because you're working alongside your child it's it's more about noticing your child who they are and then working with them which is why homeschooling and montessori go so well together you know, and it's not about being perfect and knowing everything. And I know, you know, when everybody who homeschools realizes that most of the time you're learning alongside your child or just ahead of your child, right? And that's, and that's what we do in Montessori. We don't know everything, but we learn just ahead of the child. And we try to communicate how amazing all of these things that we're learning are to get them
0: excited. So that that was really clear the way I, I love the idea of the three the three-legged stool mm-hmm. and the support for that stool, those three legs, what they do to come together to make that to make that stool so you the environment, the child and the adult and how we all play a part a connected mm-hmm. part individually but yet connected to make that I, mm-hmm. I, I really really. Um, I I understood that very very well, and I also see the blend. It's true of how homeschooling, if you're homeschooling, and incorporating and using or living with the Montessori method, how well that works. Um, And I agree. I think, you know, sometimes there is that misunderstanding. I know I used to think of that as Montessori. Actually, I had a really big misunderstanding of it being very much about the materials. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of like Reggio is the same, um, the Reggio method, how I always thought it was more about the environment and what they're using, the materials um, and how you need to make it look so pretty and natural as opposed to how you're supporting the child with with what they're using. And then I also had the misunderstanding a, a long time ago that Montessori was actually quite strict. Um, that it was because, maybe it's because of the preparation of the environment and the developmental le- levels or the preparation of, um, how you said, for the adult, for the guide. Mm-hmm. Um where you are you know you' you're you know making sure that everything is um, ready for the child I guess. Um, I had that misunderstanding that uh, you know really it's noticing the child observing and meeting them with where at where they are and supporting that. Um, so you mm-hmm. made that really really clear. So, so I would like to know as well, um, if I'm, because you're homeschooling, you've, you've moved from the Montessori classroom and with your kids, you have two kids, is that right? Yes, ages six and you're, nine six and nine. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're now homeschooling. Did you, do you find a big difference between the classroom and homeschooling when it comes to Montessori um, and working with your own children, or is it a pretty natural flow in that?
1: Yeah, I found a huge difference in terms of actually being able to follow the Montessori principles. So most Montessori schools, and you know, I don't want to generalize, but the trend is going in this direction. Most Montessori schools tend to cave to the pressures of society and of parents to do more testing, to align themselves with Common Core curriculum, um, to you know keep children on track, and a lot of the principles of Montessori of following the child's interests and development get lost. And so it wasn't until I moved away from the classroom that I was able to truly follow my children. And, you know, ironically, my son was a student in my classroom. I had a 6 to 12 classroom. So I had children ages 6 through 12 in one classroom. I had 30 students. And my son was a first grader in the classroom. And it wasn't working for him. And, you know, and my son has always been raised, you know, from, you know, from conception with the Montessori principles. And as much as I tried to make an environment that was supportive of each child, um, there were so many pressures to conform to testing and to, you know, making children literally, you know, perform for the parents. And my, child, my son is extremely sensitive, and I could tell that this just was not meeting his needs. And a lot of other children were also struggling and before I left, one of my students uh, started homeschooling the, the 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 mother. You know, we had a, a big conversation, and and uh, we both decided. You know, I think homeschooling is probably best for your child. She took him out, and she came to tell me. You know, he is a different child. He's blossoming, and he's so curious, and and spends hours working on his own. And so that was kind of I I I've. You know, I had thought a lot about homeschooling. I actually did one of my master's thesis on the evolution of homeschooling in the United States. And so homeschooling had always been in the back of my mind. I had read John Holt and John Taylor Gatto and all of that. But I always had this conviction that, you know, no, I can do this in a classroom. I can bring genuine Montessori to children. And the reality was that until I left the classroom was when I was finally able to follow my children and really break free from all of these societal pressures, and my children blossomed. It, it took a, a long period of adaptation. So we did a lot of deschooling, and um, and and the deschooling happened because of my children. I thought, you know, kind of um, in, in in ignorance, I thought, well, you know, we're doing Montessori, and my son is my student so we can just segue into montessori at home and everything will be great and my children were the ones that said um no this is our home and we're not going to bring school into the home <laughs> and so, you know, for a long time, they refused, you know, I did all my my little shelves and I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to give you this little lesson. And, and my children were like, yeah, no, <laughs> we're going to go play Legos <laughs> and listen to <laughs> audiobooks. And so they they humbled me so much. And they were the ones that forced me to go back to Montessori and say, okay, Montessori said, you need to observe, you need to sit down and without judgment, just watch what your children are doing. And so I started seeing, oh my goodness, they are learning through their play, right there. And at this point, they were seven, three and a half, and seven. Um, you know, and so they spent the whole day playing. But because I did have a good environment where it w- I didn't have screens, um, you know, I didn't have loud, obnoxious toys. Everything was what you would call, you know, constructive educational toys they they spent the whole day creating and exploring. And I started noticing that growth mindset emerging where they would try something, it wouldn't work, they wouldn't give up, they'd keep going, try it again, come up with a different solution. Just beautiful moments of learning that I wouldn't have seen and they wouldn't have experienced if I had been pressuring them to, you know, it's time to do math. Um, and so that process really allowed me to get back to the roots of Montessori. And you know, you don't really even have to call it Montessori. This is just, you know, child-centered learning where you respect the child as a as their own kind of creative force and you just support that. You are a facilitator, right? Um, and, and then that's what I love about Montessori and homeschooling. I see a lot of parents homeschooling that they, 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 got this idea and they're, they're applying it. They don't call it Montessori. They probably even never saw Montessori, but, but they had Mm. this experience of, you know what? It's not working. I need to sit down. I need to de-school. And this is what their children showed them. So they're doing Montessori. They're following these principles without calling it Montessori and, and that's great. It's as it should be, you know. Actually, Doctor Montessori said, um, you know, at the towards the end of her life, all the 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 journalists and and you know very important people were all coming to her and saying, "Oh, you're so glorious. You're so wonderful for creating this." And she said, "I keep pointing at the children, and everyone keeps looking at my finger, right?" Yeah. And so, and so that's, I see a lot of people in homeschooling. That have actually taken the time to look at their children and, you know, and and really develop an understanding of what their children need. And Montessori just provides a little bit of a deeper dive into these characteristics and helps create kind of a support and a structure so that the parents can then feel more confident working with their children. So right. I know I, I took a little bit of a tangent, but <laughs> no, no, it, it it all aligns. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 fascinating to see how um how when that partnership clicks, um the the child's potential just you know gets released, and, and then right. you you as a parent can start to enjoy the the homeschool process and the you know and the the teaching and learning process because it's more of a partnership.
0: Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And I see that. I I agree how I think for many homeschoolers, um, they, you know, you come to a point because you, well, every day is with your children and your life becomes about living that learning essentially. Mm -hmm. And really, like you said, your partner, it's a partnership with your child. And when you get to understand and know them better, and then, um, Support that through your daily life, it, it really becomes about that idea of um, the learning center, the child center, allowing um, each individual to follow where they're at and what they need. And so, whether we call it a certain style of learning, there are so many similarities. Whether you are, you know, you say you're a project based homeschooler or Montessori mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. even yeah. Waldorf, or um, I'm trying to think of all of the names, even like classical in some ways. Exactly, uh, eclectic Mason, and yeah, eclectic, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. unschooling. You yes. know, ha- mm-hmm. The similarities are pronounced throughout all of that. So much is about um, knowing yourself. In every way, as a parent and and for your child to know themselves as well, it really is centered on that. Yes, uh, centered on that individual understanding. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And and it's it's such a process, right? It's such a humbling process to to move away from how we've been conditioned, you know, how we grew up going mm-hmm. to school and, and thinking about learning to this this new partnership. Um, and I think have, it's definitely important for parents to have some sort of structure, right? Whether it's a, you know, in Montessori, we have, instead of a curriculum, we have what are called albums, which is the lessons that you use to help your child get to know the world and help answer their questions and help them develop, you know, the skills such as math and, and language and everything. But whether you have that kind of a curriculum, or whether you create your own curriculum or follow Common Core, whatever you choose, it is important for parents to have that knowledge base, right? So that you can be the guide. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's important to have the humility to know that you're not the one who's truly in charge, right? right. It's, it's definitely yeah. A partnership.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think for parents to have that knowledge base, um, and I, and it's, it's interesting because I think that's also one of the reasons why I do this podcast as well. It's a source of knowledge for parents mm-hmm. to, you know, better learn and understand and therefore have that, whether it's the um, flow, structure, help to create and support that environment. Um, it also then helps for, you know for those doubts and fears, those Mm -hmm. questions that come up that I think naturally come up for all of us, um, it it helps us to better center as well. I know I always talk about the importance of and what always helps us in our homeschooling life. And I see it throughout many other homeschoolers that do so for a, a while is that, you know, I always, you know, I recommend to any of the families that I work with is getting clear on your purpose and values. Yes. and that being your focus your center and anytime a, you know a doubt or a question comes up that's where you go back for your answers because then you the choices that you're making or the answers to those questions the first thing you ask is is it aligned with my purpose is it aligned with our values as a family is this is it taking us completely off the path or is this still coming back to our center focus or maybe does outdo our values maybe need to shift a little bit because there's been some changes and now we're ready to move into something else, to something else, sorry. That's good. Exactly. Absolutely. If um, I'm I'm actually doing a, a summer program
1: right now, and the first exercise that I have all my participants do is to write down their list of whys. Why do yes. you homeschool? And yes. and I did that exercise recently because you know we went through a period of you know everybody was kind of burned out and the end of lockdown and you know it was just mm-hmm. kind of a a moment of reload. It was yeah. a lot, and yeah. uh, and and just like you say, it's it, you know you need to reassess and you need to make shifts and so I sat down I said okay why are we homeschooling why do I put myself through this and not just you know put my kids back into school and and not only was that exercise helpful for me to to realign my values but then I shared it with my husband and the shift he's always been very supportive of homeschooling thankfully but the shift in his way of communicating with our children was was really amazing and his the way that he started supporting vocally my efforts mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know in front of the children came from having done that list and we even yes. actually based on that list we even decided we needed to move to a larger house in a smaller town um that had more access to nature because that was one of the values That we really wanted to instill in our children. And so, yes, I cannot, uh, you know, underscore enough the importance of having this list in whatever form you want to make it, but definitely figure out your values, your priorities, and your why.
0: Yes, I agree 100%. And, and I also agree, and this is the same as well <laughs> with what mm-hmm. I do as well, is encouraging not just the, the one parent, because usually there is a, a main homeschooling parent, I think, right. but mm-hmm. not just the one parent to, to, to be clear and define that, but for the whole family to do that together. Because yes. then, you know, you're talking about the partnership before. As that partnership, we all have to understand, you know, and be part of uh, creating that purpose and value as well because then the flow happens and then like you said with your husband then it becomes you know that partnership or that team where you're all together moving forward together at the same to the same to the same purpose as well it's really important and it helps every one of us in the family to just feel better aligned and better supported as well
1: absolutely i think one of the
0: uh
1: lesser discussed aspects of homeschooling is the power of homeschooling to create a a more secure family attachment. Um, And and I think a lot comes from this ability to work together to to share common values and to make those a priority and, and to feel it as a family. I know when we started homeschooling, you know, I was... I was kind of in the mindset of like, I'm the teacher and, you know, this is my project and mm-hmm. my husband's a university <laughs> professor. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I had it in my mind that like, you know, this is my baby um, and, and I'm going to run with it. And, and I remember him saying like, you know, one of the things that I want is for my children to be very well-spoken. I want the English language to be like a huge priority in homeschooling. And that was like, oh, I mean, obviously, you know, you want to do, you know, language arts, but I had never really thought he's, he's an engineer. And so I had never really Mm. thought that for him, that was such an important part. But when he said that, that became one of my focuses. And not only has that helped my children to have a good education, but the fact that I've, you know, been very open and, and, um, supportive of that has helped my husband to feel uh more buy-in with the whole idea of homeschooling mm-hmm. you know even when things get tough or I'm really frustrated or, you know I just want to like find the, yeah. the nearest public school and just the, uh, you know send him there um but him knowing that you know if, that he was supported allows him to then support me and, and get me through the rough patches
0: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That that is exactly it. Yeah. That is right. And you know, sometimes I mean, we need that encouragement and support too. Yes. I I know it's the same. My husband, you know, this past year when we went over like before the school year started, because we usually do our, um, we really base it on our our children's interests and the questions that they want answered. And and we uh, this year on we had this family road trip last summer, and so at the end of the road trip, driving home. Um, to back to our home destination. And we talked about the school year coming up. And, you know, I had my notes of all of like what the kids wanted to pursue and what they didn't want to do again. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the questions they wanted answered. And then we also talked about, you know, what was important. And, you know, so my husband had voiced, you know, he really wanted to um, this year also really su- continue supporting more so self-determination, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. that idea of self-respect and self-autonomy. And um, yeah, because it was voiced and, and I saw how important I mean, that's always one. Of, that's one of our values anyways, mm-hmm. but also to hear it again, that it's still important, that, uh, you know, it's still uh, an important priority. Um, yeah, you, you make note. Right. And yes. so all of those things, those choices that you make through the year. Again, you're, you know, even if you're not stopping to say, okay, does that align with this? You, in your mind, it's already placed. It's already there. Um, so that's kind of like almost subconsciously, you you make those choices to to meet that as well. So yeah, I, I agree 100%. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you, because I know you had brought it up and, and, you know, this is a question that comes up for many homeschoolers, and I get this question often as well. And, um, you know, I I find for myself, I'll preface this with, I find it's really important for parents and families to understand what's important for them and to make their choices accordingly that fits with their families as well. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions that I get often, and I'm sure you do as well, is screen time. Mm, And I know you had talked about this and you had said, you know, part of your environment is no screens. Um, So can you talk a little bit more about uh, your your values around screen time, how that reflects with Montessori, and maybe also how that um, reflects with your own family's values as well. Because uh, I do, I, I want parents to have um, you know different to hear different viewpoints of of um, from ideas, so that they can help to better make an informed decision for their own families and for themselves.
1: Right, right. Well, I think. Uh, A lot of my perception of screen time ties back to the Montessori principle of observing your child because, you know, a lot of us know that all screen time is not created equal and not every child reacts to screen time in the same way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for me, in my experience, so when my son was two and a half, I was pregnant with my daughter and I was having a really difficult pregnancy. We had been screen free up until that time. But my husband was out of town for six months, like most of the pregnancy, and um, and I was just struggling to make it through. And so I started doing, you know, a cartoon every afternoon just to kind of give me half an hour to mm-hmm. take a quick nap. And when I went to turn off the cartoon, my son would just turn into this wild raging monster. you know he, he'd pick up furniture that was twice his weight and fling it across the room <laughs> in in you know his fury about not not being able to watch any more cartoons. Um, and so that was like my first observation that you know what this is just not going to work. And so I had to go screen free. And and mind you, he was watching Mr. Rogers. You know, it wasn't like, you know, he was he was watching something like that really stressed his mind out. But for him, for this specific child, it was way too much to handle. And so we had to go screen free. And we don't have a television at, at home. That was a decision my husband and I made from the very beginning. Um, but you know we had the little iPad and he would use that. But we had to go screen free. And we noticed a great shift in his in his his calmness, his sleep patterns, and everything was better. And so we just decided to keep going with that. And most of our friends use screens. You know, most of my Montessori students used screens, and for some it was more challenging than for others. Um, and I think it really is important for the parents to observe their child. Like, is is the screen having a negative impact? Is the screen aligning with the values that we were talking about? Is the screen aligning with your child's development? Um, and it really wasn't until so my son broke his arm when he was like seven and a half and it was over the summer, and so we were indoors for a long time. And so a little bit of screen time crept in. And I saw that he was better able to handle it. And so I thought, okay, there's, you know, there's more maturity coming in. And so now we still don't have a television at home. Um, And so our screen time is limited to, I do uh, online therapy once a week. And so that's when they know that they can watch screens so that they can let me, you know, do my therapy in peace and I don't have to worry. Um, And so that's when they watch their cartoons but it's still aligned with our values in the sense that it's, you know, preselected what they can watch. And it's at a particular time, which avoids the whole negotiation and the, you know, the constant whining, um, because they know that it's, you know, every Wednesday from three to five, you get your screen time. And that's that. So that has been really helpful. We've the also expectation is, is yes, set. Yes, exactly. And so there's no, you know, if if they ask, it's like, oh, is it Wednesday at 3 p.m.? No, it's not. Okay. Right. Wednesday right. at 3 p.m. is when you <laughs> will get to watch your cartoons. And so the all the all the arguments have gone away. We've also discovered that watching a documentary as a family once a week is very fun and you know gets us talking and and uh diving into different interests that you know we we otherwise might might not have. So having that time as a family, I think makes the connection in the child's mind that television is not just kind of an avoidance tool or a mm. you know, I'm bored and I'm going to go stare at a screen. but it's you know it can be something positive. And so I think you you want to think about the connection that your child is making between the screen and their emotional and physical experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the third aspect of screens that we are exploring is my son is very much into robotics. And a large part of robotics is obviously coding. Right. And so he has started using the iPad to learn how to code, to watch videos on electrical engineering, and to work with robotics kits. And so, again, that is a use of screens that aligns with our values and that supports his development and his interests. So, mm. you know, again, it's not just, you know, here's the iPad, go watch whatever you want on YouTube. Uh, you know, he does it in front of me and, and you know, I'm, I'm monitoring to make sure that he's what he's doing with the screen is aligned with his interests and his development. So it's not a matter of screens are good or screens are bad. I think every parent needs to discern the impact that those screens are having on their child, which you know goes back to that Montessori idea of understanding your child's developmental stage and being able to support it. But we definitely don't have screens out whenever they want. Like if they're bored, I offer suggestions for ideas or we do something together. But go watch TV is not one of the options when they're bored. Um, but again, that's that's us, right? That's our our experience and our, um, our values.
0: And, mm, okay,
1: and, and, you know, and just one, one last thing on this, I yeah, no, go ahead. <laughs> you know, I know that there are single parents that, you know, for them, TV is, is what's available as a, you know, a babysitter, if you want to call it that, or just as a support. And, and I have clients who are single parents that I, I tell them like, look, you're doing everything that your child needs. So if if television is what's going to allow you to be grounded and to do what you need to do to to then be present with your child, you know, then then by all means make that choice because we're not superhuman and our society sadly is not set up to support parents. And so, you know, again, when I was alone and I was pregnant, I tried using the screens. When my son broke his arm and we were indoors all day and we couldn't go to the beach or the pool or anything, you know, screens came in handy. So we don't want to vilify it, but we want to be mindful, I think.
0: Right. I think you gave one of the clearest explanations of how it can align with your values, how you can incorporate it. And like you said, not vilifying it, because I think that's what happens many times is we, it's like taking sides. It's the side of like, oh no, you're a bad parent because you have screens and this is evil or this is no good. And it's detrimental no matter what, or the other side where it's like, no, it's not, you know, we're using it as a tool. This is, you know, there's, many reasons why we have this. We're not, we're not bad. <laughs> we're not evil. Right. It becomes that dividing line. And very clearly, um, I, I really connected with when, when you're talking about how um, the importance of showing that, you know, the importance of understanding that it's not an avoidance tool, mm-hmm. which it does become often, right, mm-hmm. an avoidance for you know, whatever is, you know, for everybody, it, it could be a different thing of what's happening in their reality. Mm-hmm. Um, the connection between the emotional and physical experience and how that works for each person and each child Um and how it aligns with our values still. You're talking about, you know, watching a documentary together as a family and having that discussion and the questions and the curiosity that comes up, uh, that it can be something that is, uh, you can do it together. It's the expectations as well that you have around it, but also the tool, that it's still a useful tool, like your son using it for robotics and learning mm-hmm. um, coding and and how that really aligns well with your values as well. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it was very clear. And as well for single parents, because that is, uh, I, I know single parents at homeschool that also run a business yes, at the same time, that are working full time. Yeah, and they still homeschool. And screens have been very valuable to them in you know different ways. Uh, when they don't have that extra support, uh, when they as a resource, as a learning resource, as a working tool. Um, so thank you. I, I, I want to say thank you for making that distinction and not vilifying it as well, which I find content to happen. Yes. And then what happens is parents stop asking for that support and those questions because they don't want to sound like a villain or a bad person because of, you know, certain choices that they've made in their home life or, um, you know, things like that, they you know, again, it's that the good and the bad. Um, so yeah, it was very clear. I really appreciate that. Good, good. I'm glad that that, that helped. Yeah. I mean, shame doesn't help anyone.
1: Right. And I remember it does when, not. Yeah, yeah, you know, when, when lockdown started, we live in a two bedroom condo and when lockdown started the first three weeks, I was like, you know, we're going to bake all the bread and we're going to do all the art projects. <laughs> <laughs> and three weeks in, I texted my husband I'm like, you need to, buy an iPad because I'm losing my <laughs> <Yeah>. mind. <laughs> like we need a like drawing tutorial or something that <laughs> the children can do for half an hour so I can have a break. So again, it's also seasons, right? Some seasons yes. you might need more support, some seasons you might need less. So just be, have some grace with yourself and be kind with yourself and, and, and observe your children. So
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And observe ourselves as well too. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we miss how we're so concerned about, you know, what's happening with our children for that, we also miss what's happening with ourselves oh, yes. <laughs> and our own inner care and our, our own inner work. And then therefore how we are approaching screen time for our kids, but also for ourselves as right. well. And how we model that too. Um, Cause I, I fall into that too. You know, you can say one thing, but then I'm modeling something different mm-hmm. and the, the, you know, that, that, that contrast, it doesn't jive well, right. It doesn't, it doesn't work with the flow in the family if you're, you're saying, okay, well, this is my expectation, but I'm not doing that myself as well, Um, or talking about, you know, the why behind it again. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not just a, a black and white thing, right? <laughs> right. <absolutely. laughs> There's many shades in
1: between. <laughs> absolutely. When I started my business, I mean, all my work is online. And so I had to explain to my children, you know, when I'm on my phone, I'm not just wasting time. I'm actually, you know, I showed them like, look, here are my emails. And, you know, I'm, I'm answering emails and I'm, I'm posting information and I'm, and it's still a struggle. I, I take a lot of bathroom breaks. That's <laughs> right. That's where, mm-hmm. I, that's where <laughs> I use my phone during the day because I don't want them to be constantly seeing me staring at a screen. So, modeling is so crucial and helping them understand and experience the different aspects of, of screens, the, the different ways they can be used. But yeah, right. it's such an important topic.
0: Yeah, it is. It really, really is. And I think one that I can probably, you know, we could focus on more and expand on more just for one episode as oh, well. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I also wanted to, um, so I wanted to. I don't know. I, I want to be mindful of our time of as course. well too. Um, so um, it's like I have so many. Qu- I've been like writing notes and nodding oh. along, <laughs> and I have certain little points. I'm like, oh, I want to ask Pilar about this, and I want to ask her about this, and <laughs> yes. I also want to make make it make it sure it fits and segues properly as of well. Course. But, of course, of <laughs> course. Um, so, so as a Montessori trained educator and as a, a homeschool parent and a Montessori homeschool parent, um, I know that I'll probably get questions about this too. So, and I know you would be the best person to answer this and, and, um, be able to explain it as well. You really explained the stool, the three legs of the stool very, very clearly, um, so, if a parent is say, you know, like I, yeah, I, I support the child-led learning, the partnership, understanding the developments. Are there any other ways that if I'm really interested in Montessori, that I could possibly incorporate it into my homeschool? Are there any other other pieces of it that you that you would recommend and say, hey, you know what, this is actually very Montessori. You know, the, this is along these values, and I find that this really is um, a great reflection, but also will really support the homeschool as well. Yeah, it's a great question. I think the
1: idea of freedom and responsibility
0: Mm, is a cornerstone
1: of Montessori. And basically what it boils down to is... Children in a prepared environment that we have talked about have many different choices. So in Montessori, we don't tell the children, you know, from eight to eight thirty we do math, and then from eight thirty to nine we do language. Um, the children are free to choose from the different um, activities that they're familiar with that they need to practice, and and this varies by the way it looks varies by age. But in general, they're free to choose from. The different activities. But especially in the elementary years, they are responsible for their education. They're responsible for developing those skills that they're going to need to be able to understand their world. And so let me tell you what it looks like in in, in practice. So for example, with my 9-year-old and now I'm starting with my 6-year-old. Every Friday we have a meeting, a one-on-one meeting where we sit down and say, "Okay, let's talk about the week. What worked? What didn't work? What did you love? What did you struggle with?" And then we talk about their goals for the coming week. And so we look at state standards because every child is responsible for meeting the their country's academic expectations. And it's not just about checking off boxes and saying, well, you know, I know how to multiply. But what you really want to do is help them understand and help them experience why these skills and tools are going to be valuable in their lives, right? And so we have a lot of conversations about why is math important? Why is language important? And I involve them in uh, real life activities that help them see the power of these academic skills. And so okay. we sit down on Fridays and we have these conversations. And so we say, okay, um, you know, the the standards say that all third graders need to be working on multiplication and need to be understanding, you know, units of measurement. And so we go through a few things and we'll say, okay, what do you want to focus on this month? You know, or what do you think you need more practice with this month? And so, for example, my son might say, okay, well, I really don't like doing multiplication, but I can see how it's important because I can't do division without it. So let's let's focus on multiplication. And so then it becomes my job to think, okay, what are the different lessons that I need to give to support this, um, this need? right? And then my child might also say, you know, I've been really excited about my electrical engineering project. So I'll write all of this down, what he needs, what he wants. Um, I'll write it down and he'll write it down. And so he creates a sort of goal sheet for the week, And every child works differently. Some children like to structure their week and they'll say, you know, on Monday, I'll do these things, Tuesday, these things. Other children are kind of more free-flowing and they'll work for five hours on Monday and then not do anything on Wednesday. Um, So it really depends on their personality and learning style. But your job is to hold them accountable. Right, And so throughout the week, you have little meetings where it's like, hey, remember you said that you were going to be working on multiplication? I have time for a little lesson right now. Would you be willing to sit down with me? And then if they say, well, right now I'm working on electrical engineering, it's like, okay, when would be a good time for us? You know, like I'm available from 10 to 12. That's when I'm available to work with you at what time would you like to to do this? And so then they'll say, okay, how about 10.30? And so we'll write it down and kind of make an appointment. And it it sounds very beautiful and streamlined. It's kind of messy because Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. development of these skills is messy, right? Like all of the executive function skills, the, the development of responsibility is messy. But you need to give your child the space to to fail and to flail, right? As they're developing the ability to be responsible. Um, and so Montessori homeschooling can be a little bit messy. For the adult, it can bring up a lot of anxiety because we're used to, you know, having a checklist and and just going through is, and getting the child to do the things we need them to do at the time that works for us. And with Montessori, it's, again, it's more of a partnership but the result, long term, you know, over the, the course of a few months, is that you see your child developing the ability to say, hmm, it's Wednesday, and I haven't finished what I had committed to doing. So we call them commitments. Like, I don't even call them goals or, or you know, we call them commitments. And so I'll ask them, like, how are you doing with your commitments? So they'll start thinking, you know, I, I committed to practicing multiplication three times over the course of the week and it's Wednesday and I've been slacking. So now I need to, you know, uh, put more effort into this. And, and, um, and then on Friday we have another meeting. It's like, Hey, how did it go? And then they can kind of assess, well, you know what? I kind of, you know, drop the ball. Um, so, you know, next week, so I'll ask him like, so what's your strategy for next week? Okay, well, next week, I'll do it Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday so that I can get it over with. Um. Mm. And so, you know, you're, you're making them an active participant in their own education from an earlier age than we normally would see happening in a traditional system or in a traditional approach. Right, right. But the benefits yeah. of that, right, is that, by the time they're in middle school or high school, they're completely in charge of their education. And you're just the one, you know, helping connect them to, to teachers or tutors or driving them to classes or, you know, getting them the resources they need. But they're in charge, which at the end of the day is what we want for them by the time they leave our house, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's right. So So when you started at a younger age and you started incrementally, I'm obviously, you know, I obviously like with my six-year-old, I don't just like dump it on her. I was like, okay, you are in charge of your own education, right? (laughs) right? But I will, for example, ask her, you know, would you like to work on your addition facts or would you like to do this, this uh, addition game with me? We have different games, you know, and so I'll offer, so I'll offer two choices. And so she's still empowered to choose. By the time she gets to nine, she'll be much more familiar with that Uh, with the fact that she has that ability, right? She'll feel more confident with the fact that she has the ability to choose and she has the responsibility to um, to do this. And this is where the positive discipline part comes in that, um, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that I'm trained in positive discipline. Um, And what positive discipline does is it's a series of tools for parents that allows you to hold those boundaries in ways that are really respectful of children. And so it helps your child little by little to become more accountable and it helps to get rid of all those battles that I see so many parents struggling with when I go on Facebook and I read all the, you know, comments in different groups where, you know, my child doesn't want to do anything and, you know, we're always battling. Positive discipline is that um, that support that allows parents to hold boundaries and allows children to start realizing that they can be responsible and that they can hold themselves accountable. So it's a, Mm. it's a, um, it's very much a dance, right. Of, of, of letting go and then, you know, and then kind of holding boundaries and then letting the children experience the consequences, the natural consequences of not holding themselves accountable and then helping them reflect On that accountability and then kind of rinse and repeat.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So, you also answered one of the questions that had come up while you were talking about this, too, because I was going to ask, well, what does it look like once they get into their teen years? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, how do we support that? Because, and that's also one of the things, as well, and one of the things I had noted, because that um, I don't see a lot of Montessori based classrooms or schools for the older kids for the teen years. Um, it's more, it seems to be for the younger, Mm -hmm. younger, younger children. I, I, I would love to see more. It continue all the way through. Um, one of my questions is why, (laughs) why is that? Why doesn't it go all the way through? And then, um, how, okay, I'll ask that question first and then I'll ask the next
1: one to my question. Sure. Yeah. So, the adolescent ears are really interesting. So if we go back to this whole idea of observing your children and the different characteristics of each developmental stage, the adolescents are very similar to the preschoolers, to the three to six-year-olds, in the sense that they need a a very carefully prepared environment that they can work with with their hands. Um, They're not as receptive to Intellectual learning um, in isolation—they need to have experiences, like like physical experiences—but it needs to be in a broader context. And so, what Dr. Montessori prescribed was creating a farm that would be run by adolescents. Uh, in partnership with adult mentors that would work side mm. by side with the adolescents, um, giving them the experiences. So, for example, let's build a chicken coop, um, and so all of the different academic skills and social skills and and you know um, and just practical life skills that are involved in this big project, um, and so it's it's um. Obviously, when when you think about it from the perspective of creating a school that would allow children or adolescents to do this, logistically, it's not very easy to do, especially in this point in time when there's such a drive towards, you know, getting them ready for college and, uh, you know, pushing the academics. But we push the academics at developmentally the wrong time, because this is when their, their brains are in need of these practical experiences that they can then connect Mm. to academics. Um, And actually, one of the reasons that we're moving to a much smaller town is because I want to, you know, my son is nine and a half. And so eventually he's going to be an adolescent. And I want to create an environment where he and his peers can have this kind of experience. Um, You know, Mm. we'll still continue to homeschool. It won't be a full-fledged school. But they will still have, you know, I I want them to be, for example, in the FFA or in 4-H or in some of these organizations that give children and adolescents these experiences. And so so that, you know, in a nutshell, that's why why these schools are not available uh, broadly. And I think a lot has to do with parents, with the lack of understanding of what is important for an adolescent developmentally. I'm, you know, and and the reality is that it's not uh, the push for academics. That's, that comes in, in elementary and, you know, later on in high school, but during the middle school years, that
0: is not the time. Mm, Okay. Okay, so you you answered my part B pretty well, then, because I the the next part I was going to ask is um, so if we hadn't if we haven't essentially set the stage in the younger years going up into the older years and we say, you know, our child is an adolescent and we're just starting to homeschool and are really interested in learning, you know, we've listened to Pilar and we're like, oh, my God, I want to get into like Montessori. I'm going to learn more about Maria Montessori and the Montessori method. I think it's incredible. Um, and so if we're just, just getting into it when our children are a bit older, how would we create that and support that environment? How do we set the stage? But, um, experiences, I get, you know, I hear that, um, being out in the world, um, finding the partnership and mentorships, um, doing those things, those practical hands-on things, learning through that, um, Absolutely. That would be the big way to do that.
1: Absolutely, and the one thing that adolescents need in order to thrive is to feel useful. And this is not just—you right. know—it's not from me; it's yes. not from Montessori. This has been, you know, proven research that adolescents need to feel useful. And what better way to feel useful than to involve them in real-life projects that have an impact? Um, and one thing that is really important for adolescents is um, the the understanding of the community that they're living in and what impact they can have on that community. So, Montessori is very interesting in terms of how it understands the way a child perceives the world. So, when in the first plane of development from zero to ages zero to six, the child is really focused on themselves, right? Like, all they want to do is just understand who like develop their their abilities in themselves so you know a four-year-old is very egocentric right because they're they're developing their self then the six to twelve-year-old is fascinated with the world right if you have a six to twelve-year-old it's you know constant barrage of why does this happen and when did this happen and who did this and you know um they want to know everything about everything then the third plane, ages uh, 12 to 18, the adolescent years, is again a turning inwards towards who am I, but not just who am I as a person, who am I in terms of what can I contribute to my community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so the work that the adolescent does in their community, volunteer work, but not volunteer work that the parent says, or the school says, you know, you need to do 50 hours of community service, but driven by the child's interest. So whatever the, or the adolescent's interest, whatever the adolescent feels they're being driven to contribute towards their community, that's where the parents' support needs to lie, right? And and that is going to make a huge difference in their ability later on in the college years to then say, you know, for the adolescent or the young adult to then say, I have all these skills, I've proven that I can contribute. And now I'm going to contribute to the in the broader sense of contributing to the whole world, right? Like How can I bring my skills to the broader world? Um, And so it's this beautiful dance of like, first going inward in the first six years, then exploring outwards in the second six, you know, uh, six to 12 years, then again, going inwards into the local community in the adolescent years, and then as a young adult flourishing.
0: Mm okay wow so clear and, and oh, I want yeah so so clear okay I, I don't it's never been fully explained like that to me before mm-hmm. and now I get it I totally understand God, okay? I'm and so I've glad. seen the plane I've seen the planes of development as well but um yeah your examples were very succinct and and I guess I also get it too because it's nice I guess I just want to say some ways for myself it feels validating mm-hmm. um because like for example my kids are my son is almost 15 and my daughter just Mm Twelve, and so I see those changes in their development, right? I I also because we have home educated. We started when my son was six. Um, he was halfway through grade one when mm-hmm. we took him out and my daughter was three. So it's been over that course of time that, you know, and and that's the thing, you know, it doesn't, homeschool can't be stagnant. It has to change with your child and with yourself as well. You go through changes and, and that has to be fluid in, in that way. Um, but, you know, now... Yeah, my kids are at a very different stage, right? It's yes. there's a big shift. My my son actually, um, some some have I've talked about this a little bit as it just kind of started, but this spring he went away and he's gone for um, half a year. Wow! And he's he's yeah he's working um, he's working at an outfitters and a, a Uh, uh, hunting and fishing outfitters and you know really that because that's his thing like he loves the outdoors and animals he's really into hunting and fishing and and guiding and all like that's really what he's really um, passionate about Mm -hmm. right now and Mm -hmm. focused on and so this opportunity came up and it. It really, you know, as a parent, it's also that letting go, that separation that happens. So it was a big shift for me. It felt it was bigger for us as parents, for my husband and I, than for him. Of course. (laughs) But uh, the reassurance is that when we talk to him and he's happy and we ask him, you know, where are you right now? How are you feeling? You know, you, my husband always asks him, so do you miss home? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to come home? Anything? And I think, and he's always like, you know, he's a very tactful, sweet person. And mm-hmm. he says, you know, I love you, but no, I don't oh, want to come home. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> I don't miss home right now. I'm very happy where I am. And for us, you know, that's also the, like, we're like, that's good. Oh, that's yes. the, you know, that's great. That's where you want to be. So, but that is, he is using his hands every day. It's long, like it's laborious work. They're Mm -hmm. building fences and putting it up. They have like black bears that are waiting for them out the front door. (laughs) And, you know, he's like, they've, you know, I've asked him, he hasn't seen a grizzly yet, but there was a wolf in the yard. Oh, and, You know, like it's they are making trail and pa- he's learning to ride and pack the horses and care for the horses because it's just like they're pretty far north in mm-hmm. the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Like it's a fly in camp. Wow. Um, so so he's you know, it's all of those hands on skills that are, you know, he's learning, he's driving certain machinery because <laughs> they have yeah. to do everything themselves because there's no other um, city or um anything really around them so mm-hmm. everything is like if the plumbing breaks down he had they have to work on you know work on rebuilding it and but he feels like he says so useful every yes, single day exactly oh my so goodness. useful and he's learning and all of those skills even if it's something that you know he so he's not hot on fixing because they had no water so they had to do plumbing for three days Right. <laughs> but but he you know, he understands how that works now. And maybe later on, like he said, oh, I think I'll be able to, you know, something like that happens, I'll be able to, to, to fix it or to know what to do now mm-hmm. instead of it being just an absent space kind of thing. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, absolutely. He, you know, the, ad- the need for adolescents to feel useful is huge. Um, and then now my daughter is going into that as well. And I see the shifts with her too. And um, yeah, so it's like, how can we best support her to um, prepare the environment for her as well so that she can continue to feel useful and create and be active in every day? What an amazing
1: experience. And, and I have to say, what a testament to your and your husband's ability to, to let go and to really understand what is valuable during these years, right? Because so many of us operate from a place of fear of, you know, will they get into college? Will, you know, will Mm -hmm. they get the GPA? Um, And that thwarts our ability to truly follow their development and and what you're doing is hopefully a lot of people will listen to this and and get inspired by this. I think you need to speak more about this because <laughs> uh, because it 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 really is so well aligned with what adolescents need. And the impact that this is going to have on their you know self-worth and their ability to contribute to society later is is going to be you know uh, monumental. So that is truly amazing. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it, it really, and I think probably I'm just starting to talk about it a little bit more because it it well, it is fearful, right? Yes. It is uh, I it from me <laughs> as my own person. I'm still processing it in so many ways, and now I'm feeling better about speaking, speaking to it, and speaking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I hope more. I, I see as well the impact for other, you know, for other adolescents other kids and, and that age as well to do those things because it really is difficult in the school setting in the school structure to incorporate any of that yes. because you have the, you know, they have to be inside the school for a certain amount of hours because teachers also have to fulfill, fulfill their certain amount of hours teaching or in the classroom mm-hmm. within their contracts. They, there's a whole insurance things where they don't want kids to do anything anymore because they're worried about insurance liabilities oh gosh, and what others will say, and, you know, it's like, then it's the extra work of trying to make those connections in the community. And, but it's not going to fit every kid in a 35 mm-hmm. kid class and right. so then how, let let's just not do it at all. And you know, (laughs) it's it's crazy. Yeah, it is. So um, I I really support and how, you know, your vision of creating that for your kids and the community that you're in now too. Um, I'd love to hear more about uh, how that's moving and any support you need with that too, because I hope we can all do more of that for our communities. I think it's important. Thank you, absolutely. Yes,
1: like you said, it's important for the children and it's important for the communities. Uh, yes, because these these adolescents have so much potential, you know, and it's being squandered in classrooms and even in homes. So the more that we can get them out there and, and connect them to the people who need their, their abilities that the better it's going to be for everyone.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, Pilar, I have taken more time than I asked for, <laughs> <laughs> That's and fine. I know you, you have um, you have your family and your schedule. I'm very grateful. I, I don't want to to take advantage of that more. So. Um, I, like I said, I had a whole bunch of questions, but maybe we can continue in a part two another time as well. I would love um, that. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. It's been so, uh, every, every interview and episode, I go into it as, you know, I'm a learner and I always learn and I've learned a ton from you today and I really appreciate you being here. So I am very, very grateful. Um, Thank you. and, Oh, my pleasure. And I just want to also give space for you because I know you support parents in your work um, a huge amount still as you're homeschooling your kids, you're still you run your business, you're supporting parents. Can you talk about what you do and what you have coming up as well, where, where parents can reach you, get in touch with you, find out more and what you have available? in your work with parents and families.
1: Absolutely. So I've had a free Facebook group for a long time. It's called Second Plane Montessori, the elementary years. And it's, you know, available for anybody on Facebook to join. Um, and during lockdown, a lot of parents reached out to me um, wanting more support because they wanted to keep doing Montessori at home. Um, and so that's when I started my membership. It's called the Montessori Homeschool Hub. And so it's been running for just over a year. We have about 200 members. And I walk parents through a five-step process so that they can learn how to you know, prepare an environment, understand their children's development. And my focus in the hub is for children ages five through 12, uh, which is, you know, kind of the main elementary homeschooling years. Um, And I, you know, I walk them through all of these different aspects. I help them understand the different academic subjects from a Montessori perspective. And I also give them a lot of positive discipline tools that that we chatted about earlier. We have uh, group group uh, calls and uh, all sorts of different ways of coming together as a community to support each other. And people can find out information about that on my website. It's montessori.com slash hub is where you can find information about the hub. And I also created, based on the requests from my membership group, um, I took the Montessori albums, which is a curriculum, and I laid it out so that parents can see the whole scope and sequence, and it is an interactive scope and sequence where they can click on each topic through the different grade levels and the different subjects, and they, it opens up step-by-step lessons with pictures and links to different printables, um, and so it's a way of parent for parents to have that curriculum at their fingertips so that they can be better prepared to then answer their children's questions and to, to follow their, their academic development and, and uh, you know, social emotional development. And uh, that is also on my website. I also have free resources on my website. I have a YouTube channel. Um, You know, they can follow me on Instagram and my handle is mainly dot Montessori. So there are a lot of different ways of getting in touch with me. I try to share as much as possible. I've been blogging for over a decade um, to, to help parents understand what Montessori is really about, to dispel myths and to help them see their children as these powerful and creative and just amazing little beings and to help parents really enjoy the experience of working alongside their kids. And I'm so grateful that we got a chance to talk. I just wanted to end by saying that when I was making the decision to homeschool, your podcast was one of the you know, great resources that that I went to that really gave me the confidence to make that leap. So I can't tell you how excited I am to have had the opportunity to chat with you today.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Pilar. I really appreciate that. I'm I'm very happy. Oh. <laughs> that's that's the reason why I I, I wanted to do this and um, to encourage more and and to answer those questions that I had as well right. and that I still have. So I thank you for for telling me that. I appreciate that, and I'm happy to have been part of your journey yes. <laughs> in that way. <laughs> I'm very very happy and grateful. All right. Well, I will actually include all of that in the show notes as well. So if you're listening and you, you can just go to the show notes and click on those links, I'll have that available to be nice and easy for you as well. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. I am really happy we connected and I'm looking forward to more. And I'll be following you. I already do. Actually, I think I follow you on Facebook. I joined your group, um, but I'm going to make sure I follow you on Instagram because I'm not sure if I do. So I'll do that right now. And I encourage everyone else to do so, too. So thank you so much, Pilar. My pleasure. Have a lovely rest of your week. Thank you. You, too.